Hello, this is Deborah Anderson, the Black Woman Animator, coming back to you with another video. And in this video, I have Quince Vaden. Vaden. Welcome, Quincy. <laughs> so, um, give a little intro to who you are. Um, sure. Uh, my name is Quincy Vaden. I'm a LA-based 3D modeler, creature designer, character designer, and I also moonlight as um, I do custom jewelry as well. So I've also been doing some styling and, and things here in LA. So I've been using my, my you know, my art artistic talents to do many other things other than 3D modeling, but primarily I'm known as, as a 3D modeler. Cool. So my first question is, where are you from and what was your childhood like? Um, so I'm originally from um, Galveston Island, Texas. So I was born in Wichita, Kansas, moved um, immediately to Galveston Island where all my family's from. We stayed there for, I think, six years until we had a big hurricane in, I think, in 18, 1983. It's a really big hurricane. And so then we moved back to Wichita where my grandparents were all uh, jet mechanics. So um, mm -hmm. I grew up in, in between the Midwest and Galveston Island going back and forth. Um, for most of my life. And um, right out of high school, joined the Air Force, became an F-16 mechanic, um, went and fixed F-16 engines for four years, got out, went to art school. Um, at the very end of art school, dropped out of art school at the very, very end. It was sad too, because it's like three semesters to go and I dropped out. Um, I decided mm -hmm. that I didn't want to be an illustrator anymore because uh, I went for fine art illustration. I went to Academy of Art University uh, in San Francisco. And I decided at the very end that I didn't, I, I no longer wanted to be an illustrator and that mm -hmm. I wanted to um, do 3D. Um, so that's kind of a, that's kind of a, a pretty quick run through the life. But as far as my, my childhood, as, as you asked specifically, it was a very rural childhood, a lot of time alone. I was the only grandchild in the family for 14 years. Oh, wow. I thought you were spoiled. <laughs> I can't even, I, I can't believe that I didn't grow up to be an asshole. Sorry, I mean to curse. I, I, I can't <laughs> believe that. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm super surprised I didn't grow up to be an asshole because I was the only grandchild in the family for 14 years. So like mm. every single Christmas for 14 years, it was just me. But I also lived with um, all working women. So I spent mm. a lot of time alone. Like my mom, she's a retired police officer. So she was in the police academy, you know, as I, so like when I was, seven years old, I would get myself up for school with my own alarm clock, fix my own breakfast, prepare my own clothes, lock up the house, go to the bus stop by myself, go to school by myself and come home by myself. You know, so it was a very- You're a latchkey kid. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was interesting too, because I think having that much time to reflect as a child, you know, that was back before, you know, obviously this is the, eight, the early eighties. So there was no PDAs. You know, you watch cartoons when they came on. If they didn't come on, you just went and got your book and, you know, right. you played with toys or whatever. So all that time alone really allowed me to become self-aware early as a child, you know, and, be kinda, and, and kind of develop a little bit of like hypervigilance because it was just me, you know, and, and you know, when there's no one there to, they didn't like it was no one, they were working, you know. Right. Uh, so I just became really self-aware and, and I really played around with art a lot as a child and that's where my spark came from is just to fill the space when mm -hmm. I was there alone. So the you know like back in the day the movies like if your movie went off, you know, this is this is network TV or when you had to buy paid TV channels, 
it wasn't like you could just go find another movie. When the movie was off, the experience was over. You won't see the movie again for like two or three days till it comes on again. So, you know, right. I would kind of want to relive that excitement and kind of keep that excitement going. So then mm -hmm. I started going. So I would watch, you know, some scary movies from Friday the 13th because I love, I loved slasher movies even as a kid and monster movies. And I don't want to keep that excitement going. So I started making my own stories and drawing my own characters. Mm -hmm. so I try to replicate that for myself. So that's what being alone as a child a lot did for me. And that's what yeah. made me really interested in creating artwork. So that's kind of my, my origin story, I guess. So go uh, more into what your, like further more into what your relationship was to art in your childhood and what was your journey working in animation now? Um, like I said, it just started out as kind of a hobby when I was a child. Um, like I couldn't, so my mom, one of the things, she worked at Kmart before she before she joined the police force. So she had a discount. So, and I was the only grandchild of the family. So I got a lot of toys, like a lot, like I've seen them. You know, if I saw something on TV and I just said, hey, you know, we could go to the store, we, we get that right now because I was the only one. So I got really interested in the arts and, and I think like fine crafts as a child, even, you know, I could even pick a toy and be like, this is a quality toy because I, I've handled so much and owned so many of them. I could kind of understand what was good about them, you know, what was like mm -hmm. magic about them. And so that would kind of, it kind of heightened, I guess, my, it, it kind of refined my palate early for things that were fine. So ever since even as a child, like I remember when, weird example, but I remember when Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the cartoon came out. Mm -hmm. And I remember the intro, the animation was awesome. And in the first episode, the animation was awesome. And then they did the bait and switch. And after the first I think two or three episodes, they switched animation studios. And okay. the animation was trash. It was like, the, like episode four was garbage, right? And I immediately hot potato Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like as, a, as an entity. I was like, ah, I can't watch that. It's just not good. You know, and I'm only like, I don't know, man, I'm like 10 years old, you know, and I immediately was like, this, the, the quality of this cartoon, I never forgot that. And I was like, the quality, and I didn't learn until about, three or four years ago when I was watching a documentary about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and they talked about that bait and switch. I didn't understand it back then. I was just like, something's not right about this cartoon. It's not what yeah, they said it yeah. I didn't come here for this. I'm going to my math. I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> man. I don't know what y'all doing over here. And so they did talk about the bait and switch. So mm -hmm. it was a real thing. And even at, at a young age, I noticed that. So, um, you know, that that kind of, you know, kind of primed me for wanting to do things that were really good and, and wanting everything that I that I did or produced to be excellent. Yeah. So I don't know if that answered your question. Um, I, I don't know. So yeah, your your mom. So you, apparently your mom was like um, really Christian, and she would let you watch scary movies, but not let you buy magazines. Did you ever figure out? Did you ever make sense of that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't care because I mean, like we had all the channels. Like we we were lucky enough to, to to have like every channel you could buy back then, like HBO, Showtime, all the paid networks. 
And my mom, she, she let me watch anything. Like I could watch whatever. There were no, so my grandmother was Christian, like hardcore Christian. I mean, we grew up in a, in a, in okay. a household. And you know, like we went to church and stuff, but I mean, like my grandma was the one that was Christian. Okay. Like, you know, I'd be watching, she'd be like, boy, turn that mess off. You know, that was my grandma, but my mom, you know, grandma be sleep by like seven, seven o'clock. She ain't coming downstairs. There's in the basement. I'm like, granny ain't coming downstairs. So my mom let me watch anything. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. She wouldn't buy the books though, because I think when she bought the books, you know, she could actually see the, the, the frames in still motion and be like, son, these are demons, you know, but as a movie, I don't think she, it didn't really compute. She was, it was, if it was a book, it was in her house now. <laughs> yeah, no, well, yeah. Like I could read, I could buy the comic books, graphic novels, like all that, but like Fangoria magazine or anything, uh, anything with any kind of death, you know, death iconography on it. Like I remember when, uh, uh, cause I, Guns N' Roses came out with this album called Appetite for Destruction. And I was back in the fifth grade when like, you know, I listened to white and black music because I grew up obviously in black household, but I went to school in Kansas, white ass Kansas. So I got experience, I got exposed to different kinds of music. So, I, and I remember I wanted that album and they wouldn't buy the album for me because on the front cover, it had some skulls on it. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I was like, but dude, I just watched Hellraiser. <laughs> You know, Hellraisers, you know, you've seen that movie with like skinning people from hell and hell. I don't do scary movies, so no, I have not seen that. Movie. Oh, no, I love scary movies, always have. But yeah, I'll be like, dude, you just, I just watched Hellraiser. Like, I, I don't really get what the difference is, but I didn't care because she didn't question my television choices. Yeah. So I was like, you can go ahead, that, mom. Yeah, yeah, we didn't win that record. That's terrible. You know, and then I just watched the movie. So. Right. Yeah, even the first three episodes of Lovecraft Country, I was like, ah, I gotta go to sleep now. <laughs> I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for the binge. Scary movies are nothing to me. I, I think that's kind of also what got me, uh, what got me, it's, so uh, side note, which is kind of goes along with, with that question. Um, I grew up with my mom, it was my mom, my grandmother, my two aunts. And mm -hmm. uh, we're all from the, um, you know, all from, from the deep south. And my aunt was just like an odd duck, right? She was like the she was like the super light skin one with the green eyes. Like she, she, we was in the, so we had a house and it was like on the, on the border of the hood. Like when my grandma bought it in the sixties, it was a nice neighborhood, but like the, the, the hood had grown closer to it. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. But my Darlene, she was like super nerd. She was just one of the people that was born and she was just nothing like any of us at all. Like nothing, you know, she was just an odd duck, but I loved her, right? And I remember going to her rooms she always had the strangest stuff. Like she was a practicing pagan and she didn't listen. She listened to all this weird synth, strange ass music in the eighties. And like her clothing was different. And like, you know, she was, she fenced, you know, she just had weird sin. I used to, yeah, it was, you know, she in the hood, she's like coming home with a fencing uniform on and shit. And it was real, it was cool. And, and I got a lot of influence from it. And I remember I was, I used to go in her room and she always had really interesting, strange stuff. And, and I remember mm -hmm. I picked up, and it had it had like a big it was a some kind of fire charred coyote skull or something on it, and it said Necronomicon. And I said, "What? What is this book?" It was the ne mm -hmm. Necronomicon, and and she said, "It's something that you're not supposed to read." And in my mind, I swear to God, I never forget it. I looked at the cover and I said, "Why am I?" In my mind, I said, "Why am I not supposed to read this?" I'm mm -hmm. going to read 
all the things I'm not supposed to read. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I've just been, just been curious. Mm-hmm. And so that made me kind of get into like esoteric things, like things that are kind of on the fringes, which is kind of mm-hmm. where my art ended up now, which is my art is creature art, but it is definitely like some Lovecraft kind of Guillermo del Toro. It's definitely on the fringes of conventional imagination. And it really comes from probably, you know, that meeting with her or that day when she said, you're not supposed yeah. to be. The cover illustration was so crazy. It was like some shit I'd never seen. And consequently, she was the, the actual person that got me to start in art too. Her name is Darlene. And I remember one day I was bugging her ass. I was like probably like five and I was bugging her. Like, you know, she was on her old school typewriter. Um, and we had this little den area where she would type. And I was asking her questions and she said, she could turns around and she goes, Quincy, why don't you go draw a picture? <laughs> and I said, I don't have any paper. And she pointed at the ground and she had a, a, a stack of typing paper and she had like 10 reams of mm-hmm. paper. And I said, well, can I have some of that paper? And she goes, you can have as much as you want. And so I went and I took like two inches off the, off of this top. And I was like, is this good? And she was like, yeah, whatever, dude, it's good. <laughs> but it was like this, you know, so I took that downstairs to the like the big wooden table that I think all black southern families have, that big ass table where you all sit down and eat at. And it was like evening times so I had the whole table to myself and I put it down, I spread the pages out, and I drew a Godzilla comic uh mm-hmm. and put it together that same day. And I just never stopped. Nice. Yeah, so that's kind of that's that. A lot of my, I guess my artistic, you know, all the things that, that drove me as an artist, they all kind of came from just very few singular events that I still remember. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's still that same, all those events are still kind of like rippling throughout my life. So. Yeah. So, all, um, and you were like, make, you would use water to make makeshift watercolors. <laughs> So in the Godzilla comic, like I, he was uh, burning down the city, and I didn't do exactly Godzilla. I do my, I did my own version of Godzilla. I think he had like more, he had more stuff on his back or something. And I think in my Godzilla, I think he shot laser beams or something from his mouth. He's like, all right, it's like Godzilla with the lasers. And so um, mm-hmm. I, I did some frames with the the buildings were burning. So to to kind of mimic smoke, I took water and was kind of smeared and on the paper to do some kind of a watercolor wash and mm-hmm. I, the pigments of the of the pen separate you know from black to red to blue it's fascinating mm-hmm. and so I, you know even at the first beginning at the very beginning i was thinking about mediums you know yeah you know like and that was my i think that was the very I think that was one of the, I think that was either the first or second. I think the first thing I actually drew was, I think I tried to draw Muhammad Ali actually. And then I drew the Godzilla comics. It was either the first or second thing that I'd ever done. But yeah, I was thinking about and stuff. So it was, uh, and then being alone as, you know, I was in childhood, I just got to be at home and I thoroughly abused that stack of typing paper. It was was merciless. So I had the time to really practice all the time by myself with like no interruptions, like zero, mm-hmm. like nothing. I mean, I had to do my chores, but it was, you know, it was already kind of pre-programmed that you have to do your chores. So like my my mom and my, they didn't have to come and say, Quincy, did you do that thing we asked you to do? I would just go do it 
Mm -hmm. So I didn't care when you came home because I didn't want to be interrupted. And then I had right. the entire basement because it was like a big house and everybody stayed upstairs. And the basement used to be my uncle's and then he moved out. So like I was probably like eight years old and I had like a whole floor to myself and I would just be down there just kind of like zoning out. So it was, it was, it was, it was dope. So. so even like for your aunt, where came from, like her going to get you out. Like, just like, did you feel that? <laughs> did you feel that support from your family as you did art throughout your life? Um, you know, strange enough, no, I didn't. Um, because it's it's really interesting. They they were supportive as far as materials, but mm -hmm. it was more something that they looked at as a hobby. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? Like, you, you might, yeah. you know, people take their kid to soccer camp. You don't think he's going to be like FIFA level. You know, you, you're not, you know what I'm saying? It's not like you're going to succeed in soccer, bro, but I'll, I'll support you. Like, I'll cheer <laughs> in the stands. For, that's Teach your teamwork. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, after a while, after soccer season's over, can you put in some job applications? You know, and that's kind of how it was, you know? So they were supported and, and I was good. And, I, and as I got older in junior high and high school, you know, I won awards and, and things and eventually went on to get some scholarships that I didn't take um, for art. But they weren't very supportive. I mean, even up until, I mean, to be honest, man, I mean, shout out mom, if you, if you watch this, I love you, but you know, I'm gonna air you up. Uh, <laughs> She didn't really, uh, really start taking my art seriously, probably till about nine years ago. To like when I started ZBrush, probably probably three years into ZBrush, I think she could actually then see it. She was like, "Oh shit, okay, you're like good, good, okay." You know, and now you know what I mean. She's you know she, she's my biggest cheerleader ever. But I mean, mm -hmm. I remember when I was moving to California to go to art school. I was moving and, uh, and I was in Wichita and I was like, mom, I'm going to, I'm going to move. I'm going to take the plunge. Cause back then AAU was like a top five art school. Like you had to be accepted. You know, you couldn't, it was no open mm -hmm. enrollment. And so I was moving there. I had like, no, I had $500. I had no furniture. I think I had like a, I had like a big Rubbermaid plastic trunk with all my stuff in it. I was moving there mm -hmm. with no job. And I was like, yeah, mom, I'm, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go get an art school. I hadn't even applied yet, mind you. I was just like, I'm gonna get in. Like that's just what it is. I'm gonna go couch surf on my friend's cousin's floor. And she looked at me, she said, Hey, I'm gonna tell you like this, I have this job for you. One of her cop friends, Bart, rest in peace, Bart, his dad owned a textile, like a tile, a company that made tiles. And mm. she was like, I got this job lined up for you. It's a really good job. It's a supervisor at this tile company. Stop doing that crazy art shit, dude. It's not gonna happen. Get this job and just live your life. And I and and it was sad, but I had to tell her no. It's like I'm not, I'm not gonna stay yeah. in Kansas. And this is post 9/11, so the airline industry is dead. Remember, I'm an airline mechanic in Wichita, Kansas, yeah. the aircraft capital of the world. And this is post 9/11, so there is no aircraft industry at all. It's gone. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to stay here. And, and I mean, that's a respectable job making tiles, but that's just not what I'm here to do it. And so it was really sad because I had to, I had basically had to lift that gift horse in the mouth or just kind of slap it back at her and be like, you know, no thanks. And, uh, right. and then when I moved out, and then even in art school, she was kind of like, yeah, baby, you, your art is good, you know, but it wasn't really that. 
And then when I started doing ZBrush and she could see my things rendered out, now she's like, oh, I understand. Okay. So, so that now, 2D to 3D part was the, the key? Yes, because I mean, like straight up, like I do a painting in, in fine art class and it'd be a good, you know, like classical painting, you know, Carvard real palette, you know, some white girl on a blanket or some shit. And, and people are like, that's great. But then, you know, they'd be like, can you paint Tupac? And I'd be like, <laughs> yes, I can. I mean, and I think Tupac is a, is a, a work of art himself, but I didn't black Jesus. I give me always like black animals. And I thought those are great, don't get me wrong, but you can get those at the flea market. Ten dollars. Right. No, I like I didn't go. To, <laughs> I didn't go to art school and pay. I mean, you know, an exorbitant amount of money for a fine art degree so that I could paint flea market black angels. Mom, I love you, uh, but you go cop those all day at the swap meet. Uh, <laughs> so it was, you know, it was it was interesting uh, finally getting like the transition for all of my. Uh, my family and extended family. And I, cause like my white and Asian friends, they, they know what I'm doing off the bat. Mm -hmm. like, oh shit, dude, that's like Final Fantasy 14. Like they, you know, they already know, you know what I mean? But my, <laughs> my black friends would be like, dude, that's, cr that's crazy. <laughs> man, you, man, you, you make some crazy stuff. You know, and that was it. But now, as it now is just progressing, and, and we under, where people are understanding the technology more, and yeah, people know what you're talking about when you say I make 3D models. For they're like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. graphics. You know, at least they kind of know. They say some shit like graphics, and I'm like, yeah, bro, it's graphics. Um, <laughs> but now they're starting to understand more. But no, I didn't get a lot of uh, I didn't get a lot of support. So it was interesting, you know, because in in like black community, art is not, art to us really is like singing, dancing. Mm -hmm. Those are the expressive forms, like the, I feel like the acceptable expressive artistic forms in, in black culture. Can yeah. you sing? Can you play an instrument? Are you a really good dancer? And those mm -hmm. are amazing, amazing and super hard skills to have. But if it's outside of that realm, I don't think a lot of times, or if you, <laughs> Or if you're drawing Tupac or Black Angels or graffiti or something like that, you know, there are only certain forms of art that Black black community will actually recognize as being like valid. Yeah. So now that that's changing, I feel like there's a validity to uh, Black artists with, even within our own, you know, community that has never been there before, which is, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So can you explain what was the thing that made you quit illustration and go to 3D? Yeah, so it's funny because like on one side of the fence, you do you, you have two black black angels, right? Which is cool. And then on the other side of the fence, the fine art side, the fine mm -hmm. art world has its own version of that. It's called Paint My Cat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I've been trying to get into the pet industry. Like if I once I learn how to sculpt, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be making like send me a picture of your pet and I'll I'll do it and then pay me some money. <laughs> so they have their own version of that. Mm -hmm. So like going into fine art, I'm I'm thinking to myself, okay, because I like well my my favorite thing to paint and draw were um which is like black nudes. Like if I had to paint that's probably all I'd paint is I just paint huge paintings of naked black people. And that's probably about all I'd want to paint to be honest. 
And you know, so I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna get to do some weird neo-African, you know, digital tribal shit, you know, and whatever it is I want to do. And then it would just be like, I, can you paint these grapes? And I'd be like, yeah, I mean, but haven't they been doing that since like the 1200s or some shit like that? Like, do you still want me to paint grapes? Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff people will want. They'd be like, can you paint a lake for me? Like, I went on vacation with my dad at this lake. And like, and I'm like, no, man, I'm going to paint that lake. She's trash. So that was <laughs> trash. So that was one thing that, that made me not want to do um, fine art. And then, two, it's kind of like the, the, the selling model of fine art is garbage, too. Cause, uh, so let's say you hire me to, to paint your to paint your dog or something like, I got this poodle, can you paint it? I'm like, yeah, for sure, this is gonna be great. So I paint your dog and then I bring it to you. Now, mind you, I've spent like three months on this dog, right? Mm -hmm. I bought the canvas, the paints, you know, I've had to, you know, do the, the R&D, you know, taking pictures of your dog, pictures of other dogs, you know, fur texture, all these things to, and it all three months culminates into this one painting and say, I'm charging you $1,500 to paint this doll. Let's just say that. Mm -hmm. Well, then I give it to you and you're like, well, I love it, but my dog's more like a toffee and this is more butterscotch. Right. Well, you know, and this is, these are like, this is like real shit. So then you're like, okay, so I got to take this piece back, maybe reglaze over it with more color, maybe even adjust the composition. And so what happens is a three-month job maybe turns into a five-month job. But I'm still only 3K in. I didn't get any any extensions and pay on that. I just right. put more hours into it. So and then so once you do sell it, so let's just say it takes five months and you sell, you've sold one unit. One. And now you're back at square one again. Whereas the digital age, the reason why the digital age is so interesting and so advantageous is because you can take digital assets, put them in a cart, and they can be sold without you touching them yeah so i'm like okay well what is more economical for my time and i figured that it was 3d modeling because because i was doing fine art and then i went to, to digital painting mm -hmm. digital painting in, in, in photoshop and painter was good but it was essentially the same thing the right. only thing is you can copy paste and collage your painting into other paintings that was the only you know, it wasn't really like a big advantage, but it was, you know, it was like, it was a good like 30% advantage, I feel, but it still wasn't mm -hmm. lucrative enough because you can't sell collages of your own work. So I looked at 3D assets and I said, okay, so I can take, I can sculpt a man or, or mm -hmm. a person, whatever, and I can take that body and put another head on it. It's a whole nother person. I can change the color mm -hmm. palette and the head and maybe, you know, mess with the proportions a little bit. It's a whole nother dude. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, what, how, it doesn't get more economical than that to me. Right. I can pose it. I can put it in different scenarios. Like if somebody does want some concept art and they say, hey, I want concept art of some dude, you know, holding a, a knife or something in the rain. And you paint it and you got the guy holding the knife in the rain, you know, and then they're like, actually, we want it to be in the desert. Like, you're, you're screwed. You got to go and repaint all of your chain. You basically have to do the whole painting again. In yeah. 3D, like back plate. I just put a back plate <laughs> in. Look at that, man, in the desert. 
and then you wait for two weeks so then they know it's not that easy <laughs> or well at least for a random person not for a production person but like, yeah exactly if it's random i'm gonna be like oh oh desert oh <laughs> i'm gonna make it happen for you and you know you bring it back to him like five days later and he's like oh my god that's amazing you're like ah money um so right. that was the reason why i did 3d is because it just makes more sense it, it's it's more economical for for my time and just the applications of 3d you can go into anything whereas the other ones just exist as their own medium a painting just exists on the wall as a painting a digital painting is is only that i mean that's why they come up with those filters where they can kind of manipulate the 2d paintings like you can make a do you know go like this or something yeah, they're trying to make them 3D models because it's just the most it, it's just the the most versatile medium. So I just decided right. to go with that. Okay, so I remember when I was in college, I met with some people I think from the army, mm -hmm. and you know they were like, "Oh, if you graduate from college, you can become an officer." blah 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 and there's been several times since then where i've like <laughs> i've like thought about joining the military and they all have been like 2.75 seconds worth of time and i'm like nah because i just knew that you know you would go on monster.com and they'd be like you can do art in the military and i'm like i am not gonna be doing no art <laughs> no that's so so what to join to join the Air Force and how did your experience help you in life today, particularly with your art? Um, so since I in the when I was in the Air Force, I was an F-16 mechanic. You know, I had to obviously I had a pretty high mechanical aptitude and I had to put together. I think the I think a jet engine man, I don't remember, man, it had like quarter million parts or something like that. It was like it was humongous. I mean, I think that the engine itself is like longer than this room. It was huge, man. It was a big ass engine even though it was F-16. Mm -hmm. So what that did is it made me, uh, so every part had a thing called a technical order. And it was a book mm -hmm. that told you how to construct it. So, you know, if you had this part on the engine, you go and look up the TO, the TO has an exploded view of it and it shows, mm -hmm. you know, the sequence in which you should disassemble and assemble it, you know? So mm -hmm. it was very, very, the technical order was very laid out. So, one, it, it made me even more detail-oriented than I already was, but when, especially when I went to 3D, what I did is, like, I, I've only learned 3D at home and through tutorials that I've watched, you know, online. I've never taken an in-person 3D art class ever. It's literally just been me. If you could see my chair, my chair is ancient, man. I've been in this chair for like 10 years. And what it did for me is it, it made me look at a 3D modeling program through the lens of a technical order. So instead of saying, okay, I'm going to jump in here, I'm going to make some amazing stuff. What I did is I probably spent six to nine months going through all the menus and all the buttons and just chronicling what the operation of the buttons were so that I can learn the ecosystem of the program itself rather than just trying to jump in and trying to like go straight for the jugular with something that I, I want to do. It's actually this book. I've had this book for like eight years. So this is... I don't know if you can see this, but this is all. Nice. So this is, this is what I've been compiling for years. I just mm -hmm. 
you know, just looking at them. And, and so what I did is I said, I'm going to build my own technical order for ZBrush. And so that's basically what I did. And I went through all the really good tutorials and took out all the bits that I wanted and things that I wanted to do. And I just created my own technical order for it. And when I build it, I look at them as, I have to look at it as like there's a, like I'm building a 3D toy, like there are parts. If I start okay. to look at them too much, you know, because what happens is we look at our art and we're not actually, we're not actually looking at our art per se. I feel like a lot of times what we're trying to do is we're trying to project the finished piece onto our yeah. art the whole time. You know what I mean? But we're not actually looking at it. We're, right. we're looking at what we hope it will be. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That's where we get bogged down. Where that's why it's like we have that period where everything sucks. We're like, man, it's trash. Oh my God, I don't see the end. That thing in my mind, I don't see it on the screen yet. Like I must suck, man. Maybe I'm not good. You know, and that's how we think about it. So I think of it as just more, it's a part. I, I just have mm -hmm. to build a part. So a finger is just a part. You know, like a hand is just, and I'll break them up into sub tools, and I'll just think of that sub tool as a part and then i'll think about you know okay so with this part i need to create these curves these kind of in cuts these kind of poor details and i just think of it like that and when i get stuck about how to build it i just go consult my technical order or amend my technical order i'll say okay with this set of you know orders that i have is just not sufficient to build this part so i'll go and and go through the book and see where i need to make that a little bit more robust and i'll jump on a you know, I'll jump on one of my tutorials that, you know, that I've accumulated throughout the years. I probably have like 300 hours of tutorials and I'll, I'll run through them um, and, and get what I need. And so that has helped me with that part um, really a, a lot, especially mm -hmm. with 3D because it's machines. So I just think of, I just think of the 3D parts as that they're just machines. They're just modules, just like the modules I fixed when I was, uh, in, you know, some points. Nice. Uh, your concentrations in your career are fashion styling, entertainment concept art, and jewelry design. So what made you choose these particular areas to focus on uh, out of everything? Um, one, in, in you know school, I was studying the, you know, fine art illustration. I was going into character designing. And I was like, well, if I'm designing characters, I should probably dress like one. I should probably, you know, think about, you know, how I present myself. And and I'm not a uh, I'm not an express myself through clothing kind of person. I'm a like mm -hmm. finding clothing that fits your body kind of person, you know. And I found mm -hmm. my uniform just like I think when you're trying to design a creature or a character or or in an, in an environment per se, you want to find that environment's personality and what. What are the things that are going to be in this environment? Okay, this is a temple and it's in a forest, but a forest where? Like South America? Is this in England? Is this a deep forest in Africa? Like you, you have to find the personality of that thing. So, you know, I started to pursue my own personality through um, through fashion, and that is, you know, it's minimalism. It just kind of is what it is. I'm a pretty minimal person. Um, jewelry design came about. Um, I had a friend who was divorcing and wanted to start a jewelry company. It was kind of something for him to, you know, kind of push through his divorce with. And so mm -hmm. uh, he hired me to do a jewelry design for him. So I went to his home and we worked together in San Diego. 
And I think I did about six weeks there. We did all the R&D, sculpting, casting, and uh, I helped him launch his jewelry line. So while I was doing it, you know, he was he was pretty, he, he had some, some nice resources. So by the time I got there, he ordered mm -hmm. a form printer. He had a, he had a jeweler friend that was already on deck. So what was interesting is like the infrastructure, he had it all set up. And so I dropped in, we went and got some books on Egypt because it was Egyptian themed. Um, I sculpted this really cool scarab for him and then uh, several other pieces that, you know, that I consulted him on. And then I noticed, well, the biggest part of this production is me. Mm -hmm. I kind of, I mean, you know, you can have everything set up, but if you don't have a sculptor, if you don't know have someone who can 3D sculpt, you, you have nothing. Right. So I was like, wow, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of my own infrastructure, aren't I? So I finished that job and it was a great job. He's, he's a cool dude. And um, I went on to design some of my own jewelry. So I designed and produced three prototype pendants. Um, and I have, I think, nine other ones done and they just need to be um, printed and cast. So I'll be getting a, hopefully I'll be getting a 3D printer here soon so I can have my own infrastructure. But um, nice. jewelry is the same thing. It's the same thing as 3D modeling. So I make one, I make one, you know, and then I print and cast 10. I set up a, a, a cart online. You order it. It's like automated buying, you know? So all I do is fill the order, you know, take it to the USPS and I mail it. So that also jewelry builds upon the, 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 um, the economy that I was looking for in 3D. Yeah. Same skill set, same thing. Um, eventually I'll, I think I'll probably go into toys as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Same skill set, same model, same delivery system, whereas you make an asset, because that's the biggest thing about the digital revolution is, is you make money with things you don't touch. Mm -hmm. He is the mo one of the most easy. You can even just sell the Z tool, sell the OBJ for other people to print. There's so many ways that you can monetize 3D. So I think I'll just be in here forever. But that's why um, that's why I did that. And then styling, um, I just I dress. Uh, I, I love runway clothes. Mm -hmm. so all my it's funny because I, I really have no art friends. All my friends are fashion. It's kind of hilarious. And. Uh, mm -hmm. And we just hang out, man, and go zone out. And, you know, we go to like, be so funny. We go to like fashion parties where everybody just be standing around, like, and just, it, they just, uh, I feel like fashion people, they have more fun than artists. Mm -hmm. Like the uh, <laughs> old school, like weird, debauched artists that, that, that we used to be, like the Jean Michels and the Andy Warhols. That's the fashion. Mm -hmm. And I like that energy because it's it, it's like it's immediate and and there's you know there's a lot of narcissism in it which is fine but I mean I think as an artist you kind of have to be a narcissist a little bit because you have to believe that like my version is better than yours you have mm -hmm. to you know and I feel like as artists now artists are so kind of we're so uh, I don't know man we're so placid and just like artists don't go anywhere no more they just at home and and yeah. I. I think that makes for art that's a little bit inbred, and I think it, it, the art can become a little bit boring. And, and I like to go out and, you know, like I'm an introvert. Don't get me wrong, but when I go out, I'm trying to turn up to the max. Like if we going out, like I'm trying to go out all weekend, bro. I ain't trying to sleep, and that's what my fashion. <laughs> do. 
you know, like we go out to like six o'clock in the morning and like have fun till six a.m. And so, you know, I wake up the next day at like three o'clock, you know, and, and but you know, I would take that fun with me back into my artwork. Mm-hmm. So it like kind of fed me a little bit because like when I when I want to go turn up, I call my fashion friends, man. I don't call my art friends. I'll be like, hey, right. let's go kick it. They'd be like, you want to drink and draw? And I'm like, hell no, man. I've been drawing at home all time. What are you talking about? I'm trying to go out or I'll like go out with them and at one o'clock, they'll be like, ooh. ooh. And I'm looking at you like, dude, you, you called me out the house to be out till one? Like, what? So my, my fashion friends, we have more, we have more fun for sure. When yeah. I, yeah. Um, so you already kind of described your fashion sense. Um, like what do you think inspires your style? Like just the minimalist thing or, um, I think indigenous clothes, like most of the clothes that I wear are, are not, uh, they're not very Eurocentric. I mean, obviously we have like, you know, I have some button up shirts and obviously the zipper, you know, stuff like that. But a lot of my pants mm-hmm. are inspired more by uh, Japan or more by um, Northern Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I get more influence from indigenous clothing. And I also get a lot of influence from Star Wars because I love mm-hmm. the Sith Lord's dress. I just think it's really cool and nice and sharp and geometric. Mm-hmm. You know, um, synthetic materials that really hold their sheen and really hold their color. I love uniformity also, mm-hmm. which is a part of my personality since I do come from a very, uh, my household was very, very, very regimented, you know, so I do come from a, a military family, a police officer family. So that also kind of trickles down into my fashion sense where I like things to kind of be uniform. Um, so that's, that's pretty much stores, indigenous clothing. And black because it's just, I mean, it's the best color. Duh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> so what benefit and influence has your classical art education had on your 3D art? Mm, definitely composition mm-hmm. is one of the big, big things. Learning how to compose, how to actually compose a work of art. And then what classical art did that I don't think a lot of people that didn't go to, and and there is no classism here between people who didn't go to art school and people who did not. Because Mm -hmm. some of my friends who are the best artists in the world didn't even go to art school and they're destroying me right now. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that classical art made you really think about was physics. So if you were, like if I take it back to the painting, uh, uh, painting grapes, you know, you know, there's a difference between grapes and then grapes that have dew on them. Mm-hmm. There's purple grapes that are just straight up purple, shiny, slick looking grapes. And then there's the purple grapes that have that bluish condensation on them. Mm-hmm. You know, so in classical art, you know, if, if you if you tell a regular person, draw some grapes, they're just going to they're just going to draw egg shaped purple things. But in classical art, we're like, okay, how purple? Is it a fade from green to purple? Is it from green to red to purple? Do they, how much condensation is on those grapes? How taut are those grapes? So we are actually, we're actually taught on how to think about the physics 
of a material mm -hmm. that we're painting that I don't think most people would really have the the training to be able to kind of tease out. So that yeah. that was definitely one color color pal color palettes color relationships are definitely a a humongous thing in in fine art that I don't think I would have ever learned by myself. Just learning how to like the difference between cools and warms, warm cools, cool warms. You know, like how green is warm and a cool color at the same time, but it's a it's a uh, warm cool, whereas purple is a cool and warm at the same time, but it's a cool warm. You know what I mean? Stuff like that that I think about when yeah. I'm painting now is just things that I would have never thought about as a person who never really went through classical art training. I would have never really, really even thought about that. I'd be like, dude, it's purple, man. The grapes, the purple, and the shiny. You know, and that's it. Right. That's, that would have been my grape. So there's a lot of things. That composition, um, I think also how to plan for a piece because in classical art like when we are painting we would have to do massive amounts of thumbnails then we do a, mm. a, 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 a we, I think we called it a, a third it was like a panel where you would do it to a third finish you do like five of those and then you do a half finish study you do three of those and then you pick the best ones out of those put it next to your painting and, and use that as reference so that you have mm. a, a place to plan from. Whereas I feel like digital artists are like, man, I'm gonna make this mecha cyborg cop warrior from space, go. And they think they're just gonna <laughs> jump on there and do it. And it, it just, do, it doesn't happen like that. I mean, maybe some people can do it. And I'm sure some right. of them do it. I can't, I have to plan. Right. And I think mm -hmm. most, you know, regular mortals have to plan <laughs> for that kind of stuff. And it taught me that so that you don't go in and fail all the time and think that you suck. Yeah. I, I feel that that's good. Do I have that question? Cause it, um, yes, there's this misconception in art, even among artists, that everything that has to come from your head <laughs> and using references is cheating. So that kind of like, Trash. Can you expound on on that idea that artists have where, oh man, like if I don't, if it doesn't come from my head, then it's not original or it's not this, that, or the third. Like, what is what is your expound on people's misconceptions of not using reference? I think people that so the reason why artists think that we don't need reference is because mm -hmm. they've been listening to amateurs. Be real. So mm -hmm. I'm sure as as an artist when you were a child, you drew and mm -hmm. somebody would say, hey, can you draw me a horse? And, mm -hmm. and, or, and now like somebody say, hey, can you draw a horse? And you're like, yeah, I need some reference. They're like, do you're an artist. Right. Do it out of your head. And it's like that the person that says do it out of your head has never done it out of their head, mm -hmm. ever. They, they haven't. So I feel like artists have been listening to amateurs. Or people who don't understand art, so they think that, and I think that's been projected onto us that we're just wizards, that we're just supposed to pull stuff out of ether and be like, oh, you want a horse? <laughs> you know, and I mean, like, I always, I always, always, mm -hmm. always, always have reference. Everything I do, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think I would even feel right. I mean, and after a while, after years, I'm not there yet, I'm not even close, but there are people who can memorize. You can, you know, build up a right. muscle and do it. But 
doing stuff without reference is stupid. I'm just gonna be honest, because <laughs> it's just, it's like, why? Yeah. Why, if somebody said, hey, you know, I don't know, build a chair, like you gonna go chop the tree down? I mean, you know what I mean? Just go go to Home Depot, bro. Get the wood already cut up, you know? Like, use some reference, dude. Like, what you doing? You know what I mean? Like, you gonna go chop the tree down and be looking at the tree like, mm, like, how am I gonna do this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they have kits and tools and protocols. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's stupid. So people that think that they have to pull it out of People that think that they have to make stuff out of their mind for art are the same people that think you have to be on drugs to create weird stuff. You know what I mean? Like there are these weird, like you gotta have some emotional problems to be an artist. Like you're not an artist unless you're crazy. And it's like, dude, I'm not crazy at all. Like I, I'm an artist, but I don't need that energy in my life at all. Right. So amateur talk, man. That's like, those are people that don't draw. These, those are people that don't draw. Don't listen to them. Yeah. <laughs> I watch a comedian slash YouTuber and his wife, like, it's, it's, it's so interesting to listen to his wife talk about how she's not creative, but him as a comedian and a, and a, and a um, like, social media person and then their uh, photographer who does all their camera stuff for their podcast, like, two creative people are, like, constantly trying to tell her, like, you're creative, though. But she's like, oh, but I'm not natural at it. And it's like, people don't realize we're not natural at it either. There there's some savants, but, like, you, we train to be artists. <laughs> Word. We just kept drawing, or we just kept doing whatever. Word. We're not Rain Man. I mean, they do have some Rain Man out there that, you know, just mm -hmm. somehow just picked up a pencil and, you know, like you seen the uh, the autistic black dude. I think he, I don't know if he's from Europe or not, but he, he took a helicopter ride in, in London. And yes. Drew like that dude's on another level. Like, they, like that's a dude that you can tell, do it out of your head, but he still has to see it. Yeah. Still has to see it. But that's a dude where you could say, hey, can you draw the Eiffel Tower? And he could probably say, oh, I, I remember that. Let me pull that from the ether and draw that for you. But most mm -hmm. people, no, like, they, no, it's never going to happen, ever. Right. So. so, how did you become a Wacom Pro artist? Um, I was at ECC, which is the Emerald Comic Con convention. It's like a comic convention in Seattle when I lived there. And uh, I went there and I just kind of wanted to start a relationship with them. Because at the time, I think I think I had a, a Cintiq 21UX and it, it it was getting ancient, man. I mean, like the screen res, was, it was like a fucking Game Boy or something. It was bad. Like that joint was bad. Like I, when I read it, and put it on a different screen, it'd be like a different color. And, you know, so I, it was bad. So I, I just said, you know what, man, when I go to the comic convention and see them, I'm just going to walk up and approach them. And, and I approached her. Her name is Amber Ghost. She was super cool. I don't believe she's there anymore. But she was super nice. And I mm -hmm. said, hi, my name is Quincy. I'm a Seattle-based artist and um, I'm a 3D modeler. And I wanted to know if you had a little bit of time. I would really love to show you my portfolio and perhaps we could have some kind of relationship. And that was it. And she said, yeah, just, just hold on for a second. And we talked for a minute and she looked at my portfolio and she liked it. And then she asked me if I wanted to do a demo um, at, at the Comic-Con. I said, oh yeah, sure. And she goes, well, would you like to do it right now? And I was like, right now, right now? And she said, yeah. So I went home and, and went and got my file 
And, I, and luckily mm -hmm. I was working on this, uh, it was like an insectoid woman with like this kind of insectoid space thing on. And so I demoed for them and uh, it was really cool. It was a really great experience. And they were really just cool people. Like I didn't really, mm -hmm. and I didn't approach them like, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I knew what the relationship would eventually culminate to, but mm -hmm. it wasn't a thing where I want something right now, because to me, that's just unreasonable. Right. Hey, stranger, I know you got all the stuff and I just need one. So <laughs> give me that one. So you really do it like But that's that. how people do it, though. <laughs> it's trash. Like, because you know what? So when I was there, when I was waiting to talk to her, there was a dude that was trying to do that before me. Mm -hmm. And he was, and and he was trying to do exactly what I was doing. But man, it was so bad. I mean, oh man, you could tell he was trying to get a tablet like right now, like today. He was like, yeah, draw comics, and you know, like I'm an illustrator, writer, like all. I mean, he was doing like all that, and so he was talking because it was me, and then him, and then Amber. You know, so I'm kind of waiting behind this guy, and he mm -hmm. was going on and on. So I, I kind of, I, I was about to leave and she reached over him and she was like, don't leave. I want to talk to you. Just, just stay there. And I was like, okay. And then when he left, she was like, oh my God, you know, cause he was trying to get it like today. And so, right. you know, I, I worked with them then. And then when they came back to ECC again, and I worked with them again, it was really good. And I got to know him, Tom Feston, who's uh, one of the, he does all the, um, all the conventions and so over the years i just kept going to their con conventions and doing demos and i just got to know them and now it's kind of like a it, it we're kind of just friends that happen to have a symbiotic relationship because i don't look at them as you know they sponsor me but i don't look at them as any kind of employer they're, they're just my friends you know mm -hmm. and then they they've been doing a really really good job of supporting minorities especially this last you know, this last like year, it's been really good. I mean, they, and so they were very, uh, Elizabeth Garcia is, is the head of social media marketing there. And me and her are just really good friends. And, and I just been working with them and doing the demos. I got to do Lightbox with them. I got to do it. And they gave me my own room at Lightbox, which is amazing. Cause I mean, I don't, you know, I don't work in the industry at all. I'm a professional hobbyist. Like I don't actually, I think I'm one of the few artists that is at a professional level that does not do this for money. Hmm. So I have a kind of a different, you know, different vantage point for what I desire from them. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. So I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to like politically build myself while I'm working with them. It's just like, hi, I, I make monsters because I want to. Can I do it on your machine? You know, and, and they're just yeah. kind of like, yes. So, um, so yeah, I did Lightbox with them, Adobe Max. I did SIGGRAPH with them. I was supposed to do GDC, but you know, obviously the um, coronavirus stopped GDC in San Francisco. So I was going to do GDC with them this year, and they just been really cool to work with. And they get, you know, they get sent me a Cintiq, uh, the thirty two, humongous ass thing. I love this thing. So, but yeah, and, but that's it. I just walked up to them and was genuine and I had something that I could actually truly offer them. I feel like a lot of people that approach companies, they approach them, but they don't actually have, and I can't judge what it is that you have to offer. So I'm not, I'm not judging anybody, but when you go to those, those people or those companies, you have to have something valuable for them. You know, A bargaining you have, chip. 
Yeah, you you have to have one. You can't just say, I really like your expensive machines. And I want and one for free. I really want one for free too. And I'll, you know, I'll high five you and stuff. You know, you just can't do that. You have to actually have, you know, some kind of bargaining chip and really show them that you're dedicated to it and uh, and that you can perform every single time. So every single time I came, you know, I was alert. I was, you know, I was there to work. I had, you know, some good models going. I could talk to the people when they came up and because people come up and they think I work for them, work for them. I'm just kind of like a contractor. But I'd be mm -hmm. able to ask, answer questions, you know, about, you know, the workspace and the, the specs. Like I have a, a very ergonomic workspace and I tell them what the advantages of this size versus this size versus this size. And so it was just like an easy fit. Um, and that was really that was really a, about it. Pretty much just mm -hmm. have you just have it together when you go talk to them. And, you know, if you can't, I think if you can't really do public speaking, I don't think you really have a big bargaining chip there because they want people that can be a little bit vocal yeah. know, with, with their user base. And so that was pretty much about it. It wasn't, it wasn't, it was a long time ago. I mean, I've been friends with them for years. I mean, I think, I mean, I think I was friends with them for maybe five years before I even got a unit from them. So, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, I met with them and, and we were best buddies immediately and, and they just gave me a, a machine. It took a very long time. Mm -hmm. I was patient and it was yeah. you know, totally fine. So. Nice. Um, so how do you go about finding reference for your 3D models? Mm. For me, because I do creatures, what I do is I look at all of the practical, practical effects dudes. So... It's kind of like if you're going to go, if, if you're going to try to make something, don't copy a copy. So mm -hmm. I either go to classical sculpture, which I usually don't. I usually go straight to practical effects. So I go to websites mm -hmm. like monsterlegacy.com, which is a, a compendium of all of the, mon the, the greatest monster movies ever made. And what it does is it shows you all the behind the scenes pictures of the, the, the sculptures, unpainted painted mm -hmm. you know so i basically have been compiling i think for man for like i think for like four or five years references so i have a folder that i've been compiling for about four or five years of reference and i took that reference and i've categorized them um and so if i need creature skin texture i go to my creature skin folder if i need costumes i go to a costume folder and so what I do is when I get lost on wiki pages, like I'm one of them dudes, I'll be, it'll be like one o'clock in the morning, I'll be looking at some weird shit on the internet, man. And I see it and I just save it. Yeah. So say, oh my God, like I, I remember like one of the things I just found was that, I think it was the California vulture. And it has this, uh, it has this thing on his head. It's like this big piece of flesh thing. It's kind of like a waddle, like a turkey waddle, but it's on his head. Shit is disgusting. Mm -hmm. But it's a great monster reference, you know? So I yeah. saw it on the internet and instead of saying, oh, that's cool, I'll see that again one day. No, you're not. You're never gonna see not that. Not at all. You're gonna get lost on the internet, bro. Three windows later, you know, like the internet gives you the, the, the memory of a goldfish, you know, like three windows later, you forgot what you even saw, man. Like, it's yes. you're never gonna see that again. So when I see something like that, what I'll do is I'll look at the picture, I'll say, what is that? I'll do a search for it. I'll go on Bing search and Pinterest, find all the best pictures, make a folder, done. Mm -hmm. But I do that all the time. 
So I do that probably three. Like right now, I have three tabs open that when we get done on my computer, I'm about to chronicle all three of those tabs. I just found them like, like I think at like two o'clock. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm never going to be like, okay, where was that one website three weeks ago when I was eating that candy? You know, I'm just never going to remember it. So I just do it as I see it. <laughs> And I just and so I, I think I have thousands of images, but they're all categorized. Mm-hmm. They're all in their folder, you know. So I, I know exactly where to go. My human references: bodybuilder, female, male, hands, different races, mm-hmm. you know, insects, biomechanics, mechanical, uh, like jewelry. Like I have all of it categorized. So that's what I do. Is as I see things, I categorize them. I use Pinterest a lot. So mm-hmm. like. I do a character and I want to make a mood board, I'll do it on Pinterest first, get my mood board on Pinterest, and then I'll eventually take those images from Pinterest and migrate migrate those over into my own personal reference folders. So mm-hmm. and you just have to be methodical about it because, I mean, I think one of the things that will destroy your piece, especially when you're doing concept art, is, is feeling like you got to find a, a, a piece. you got to find the reference right now. So it's like, okay... I'm gonna do like a, I'm gonna do a guy that has alligator skin or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you have to go right now and find the alligator skin. And what's gonna happen is you're gonna become impatient because you're trying to go ahead and get this shit started before you get sleepy or whatever it is that mm-hmm. you do, you know. So you just find the best one that you found today, but there's always a better one. So, you know. And then as I'm going across, you know, like I, as I'm going through my Pinterest you know, that California vulture will pop up again. Mm-hmm. And I'll go, oh, that's the vulture. Let me add that to the folder that I already have because now I remember it. Yeah. It's about having them ready. Like my fine art, mm-hmm. my, fine my fine art instructors, they would show me, because, you know, they were doing paintings. They brought in their photo album one time and it was a photo album. And, I mean, he had a bag of them. You remember them old ass, old school photo albums that had the book cover? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know what I'm talking about? Like everybody's old ass auntie would be like, You remember this, baby, when you were seven? And you'd be like, Yeah, auntie, I remember this. So he had a whole bag <laughs> and he pulled them out, and they were photos from like 30 years ago. He still uses them. Mm-hmm. So he'll say, You know, if I need a guy in 1950s costume, I got a whole photo album. So I remember looking at those. His name is Craig Nelson. He was one of my instructors at, at AAU. And I remember looking at that and I remember saying, I need to have those for myself digitally. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did is I just, and, and I took that with me when I left fine art, I brought that over and I said, I need to have that digitally. So I created yeah. the same exact thing. So all of this stuff is just me watching other people who, are better than me and who have more experience mm-hmm. and just basically just imitating them, you know, because, they, they, you know, they've laid the foundation for their success and I've seen it play out, you know? So right. I'm like, okay, you did it. You're an accomplished painter. I can see the references in your painting. It's obvious that you have great references. All the hands are correct. The folds are correct. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should do that when I'm making creatures instead of just trying to put like an eyeball right here and don't even know what the hell an eyeball look like. And you're just like, what is that, a pimple? Was that a boil? And you're like, no, that's an eye. And it's like, okay. You didn't look at an eye when you made that, did you? Right. You know, so to avoid that, I just kind of, 
you know, I just, I just let them lead, you know, by example. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, you stay ready, so you don't gotta get get ready. No, for real, no, that for real, for real. That, <laughs> that's what it really is, especially in three D. Seriously, you mm-hmm. have to, you have to always be ready, and and that comes from building up your reference library. You know, I mean, I you can't. But I mean, I have I have tons of books and statues, and I don't think you can really see it. Maybe if I turn like. Mm-hmm. Like I have, I always have, you know, my statues and references, they're always, always, always at, at the ready. So each one of those toys is a specific reference for a project that I want to work on. So I might be out and I'll be like, oh my God, the forms on that toy would look great on this particular project that I, oh, and second of all, with references, when I think of things that I'm going to do, mm-hmm. I arrange reference folders for, for, projects that I haven't even started yet. So I have one I want to do an insectoid creature. It's got it's just mm-hmm. called a hive bug, like a bug that's a part of a hive. I already have a hive bug folder. I've been compiling it for like three months. Nice. So when I want to do it, I just have to go to the folder, open it up. My references are already there. I just do my sketches and then just jump right on the 3D. So it's like I'm already ready for things that I know that I'm going to want to do. I do that on a little level. I have a bunch of folders where there's projects that I want to do at some point. And so I don't go deep dive into it, but I do be like, okay, I like, I have like an idea for like, um, once I learn how to sculpt, like uh, sculpting people like from Detroit. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, this person's from Detroit. Courtney B. Vance, uh, Stevie Wonder. So I just be like, let me find one image so I can remember who from Detroit. And then once I decide to do Stevie Wonder, I could go find a bunch of Stevie Wonder pictures. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's the, so, yeah. that's the way. Just be ready so you don't have to, you know, hurry up and try to get your references together and buy books on Amazon. Have a, I just buy, you know, I buy them as I as I see them. I just got this, I think they got this yesterday, Darksiders Genesis, uh, the mm-hmm. game it just has really, really, really good designs. And I'm looking at them, I'm like, I know I'll use these design references in the future because they're so good. So I just want to have it just kind of at, at the ready so I don't have to, you know, scramble and try to like find something because it, 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 it kind of it kind of mess the flow up. Yeah. So um, as a self-taught modeler, how did, how did you structure your learning? I know you kind of went into the, the the program, but like learning how to sculpt. Um, I yeah, I mean, some of it came from classical art education, you know, because mm-hmm. I was able, you know, if you learn how to shade a sphere in charcoal, what you're doing is sculpting, and you're just drawing with light and shadow. So some of that stuff kind of fell, you know, kind of migrated over from classical art, but. I think one of the biggest things for me with 3D modeling is just having to be patient. Mm-hmm. You know, like I have, a, I have a, I have a strange amount of patience. You know, I think that I think again that comes from spending a lot of time alone as a child. You know, where mm-hmm. like if you wanted something as a child, you know, you, you no one was going to be there to give it to you for like seven hours. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, it just becomes kind of baked into your mentality where it's like, okay, well. I want that macaroni and cheese. Mom ain't gonna be home till eight to make it for me. I'm just gonna eat this peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know, so 
like it just kind of got baked in. And so I'm, I'm an extremely yeah. patient person. And I just had to be patient and then realistic with yeah. myself, I think, you know, because when we look at 3D modeling art, we look at the best art that's ever been done in the world. That's what we look mm -hmm. at. And that's just not what we're making. You know, right. especially as a beginner. And so you look at it and you're like, oh my God, how long is it going to take? It's going to take years. I mean, if you were training to be a track and field star, it would take years. You know, people train for the Olympics for 15 years of their life. This is not going to be, you know, it's not going to be any different. So, you know, the patience mm -hmm. part was definitely a part of learning because you, with patience, you were actually able to like believe in your process, you know, because if you don't have patience, yes. you just, you doubt the process the whole time. You're like, I should be able to get something yeah. good today. And then you don't, and you're like, man, I suck so bad today. But if you're patient, mm -hmm. you know, like I did something yesterday. I'm doing this, uh, I'm doing this creature. It's like a, um, I don't know if you ever seen Japanese no theater where they wear that kabuki makeup with the big ass wigs. Mm -hmm. I, it's, yeah. it's like that shit is nuts. So I'm doing a, uh, a creature and it's, it's like a Siamese kabuki demon. So he has, he has two mm -hmm. heads. So I'm sculpting heads and, and the first night, which was the Tuesday night, I did a head and it, it wasn't where I wanted it to be. And so I just, it was like two o'clock in the morning and I just forced myself to stop. And I said, you know, it'll, it'll be better tomorrow. Just set your references, yeah. go look at your references, do some face studies, which I did, which is somewhere I know. I just sat back and did some like face studies with like these monster mouths and shit. Mm -hmm. This is what I did. See, that's that's going to be, where is it? Oh, it's backwards. Like that's going to kind of be the two-headed thing right there. Yeah. And that throat jowl thing is from that California mm -hmm. vulture. Nice. So that's where I got the reference for the vulture from because it's going to be two heads and then when they scream, their, their throat is going to, is going to, expand like a frog's and that's where they get their air to scream. So it's kind of mixing the the, the um, legend of a banshee. A banshee is a creature that screams and, and the scream is deafening. It bursts eardrums, cracks bones. So this is this kabuki, like this conjoined kabuki banshee thing. So like my references have all come together from separate folders. Mm -hmm. I just kicked back and said, okay, well, you just have to relax, go back to your references, calm down. Yeah. It'll be better. And yesterday it, it was better. And it, it it was totally fine by like, I think like one o'clock PM, I got it to where I wanted it to be. So the patient allowed, gave me runway to learn instead of just being angry with myself and beating my head up against the wall. Like, man, you gotta get it like today. There's no, I mean, ain't yeah. nobody's checking for you, man. Like, ain't nobody checking. Don't nobody know about this project. Nobody knows about it. It's a secret. So, I mean, no one's judging you. It's just you in the room by yourself or wherever. So that really helps me. And um, you're just thinking about it, um, like being realistic with your project sizes. You know, I think, you know, I'm, and, and I mean, I'm it's preaching to the choir. I mean, you know, I should be talking to myself because I have really ambitious projects. And it's taken me a long time for my skill level to catch up with my ambition. Right. Um, but I'm not working for anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm working for somebody in a company, you got to kind of check that at the door because they don't have time for that shit. You know what I mean? But for me, just working for myself, I can do that. And, you know, 
but just being realistic with what it is that you can do, I think, is also a big thing that will help anybody in uh, in in three D modeling and taking like take notes because you're not gonna remember that. Like find some way yeah. to organize the notes or something because you you're never going you're never gonna remember it. I mean, there's probably like three thousand execute things you can execute in ZBrush. You're not gonna remember it. It's not gonna happen. Mm -hmm. it's not Unless you're Rain Man. Yes. <laughs> um, so how, ha, well, um, has your blackness played a part in any of your animation career hobby? <laughs> um, definitely, I think, because uh, I don't really, I don't really draw or sculpt white people. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've done enough of that. I, I mean, um, so it was weird because when I went to art school, right? Like this is this is like I'm saying. I know maybe I think black people can really kind of identify with this because I used to see it in art school. So I went to art school and I wanted to do fantasy art. Mm -hmm. Whenever I did fantasy art, it'd be white people. It'd be like Vikings and shit, and 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 I'd be like, do I ain't no Viking? <laughs> like, I, you know what I mean, like. What am I doing? You know what? They, they always draw the white wizard with the white beard with the pointy hat. Mm -hmm. And so I remember in my first few years of art school doing just that. And, you know, it was really kind of made me sad, man, because I, I, I remember this specifically. Like, I'd be trying to think of fantasy characters in my head, and it would sometimes be hard to even change them into Black people, even in my mind, because that's just not what we were shown. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Anything that had to be anything to do with, you know, being grand wall or fantasy or anything was always white people. So I decided to not do any white people. Um, mm -hmm. And so even my characters and, and creatures, they're they're not of any race or denomination, but they all look indigenous and ethnic. Lots of repetitive mm -hmm. patterns, lots of uh, like feudal type face paint and just even the mythos that they're I don't really do anything Eurocentric. Mm -hmm. like all of my characters, like I just decided, the Kabuki, the Kabuki demon is is uh, is is from Japan. I'm doing like my own blade fan art, like I'm doing that mm -hmm. too. I'm doing, I have a um, that I've never published either. I have a a uh, fan art of John Stewart, the Green Lantern. So like those mm -hmm. are coming out, they like rolling out. But I don't really do anything Eurocentric. I just think it's been. It's been uh, it's been done enough. I think we've seen enough of that. I've seen enough dragons. I have seen enough white wizards. I've seen enough war. Like I've just seen enough. There is so much other myth lore, uh, mythology, and folklore that can be drawn from from other continents, from other countries. So it is yeah. definitely uh, it has definitely affected me in that way for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was that was that was a weird one to kind of, and it's interesting because to do stuff that's not Eurocentric, it's a little bit more difficult for it to be acknowledged as something good. It's fascinating, man. Like I'll see, like my art, I consider it ethnic, you know, even though it's mm -hmm. creepy. You know? But then I'll see, like a like it might be like a white dude who sculpt somebody black, and people would be like, oh my god. The way you sculpted Michael B. Jordan is amazing. Yeah. You know, and, and it might have been sculpted. And sometimes it don't be sometimes it sometimes it don't be a brilliant sculpture too. 
I'd be like, oh. That's not quite Barack Obama. Like, that's not, you didn't quite get Barack. Like, it just didn't happen. And, you know, and so it's, it's really interesting to see that and to have to kind of deal with that. So I don't really want to participate in that, you know, that kind of, not that system, but like, why? Like, why would I, you know? Well, and you know, like, you are, plus, I mean, I, Vikings aren't interesting. I mean, a lot of that stuff, it's been, it's been done so many But there days. were black Vikings. They don't tell you that. Oh, the Moors. Mm-hmm. It's about the Moors, yeah. Well, I thought about Vikings. They were black Vikings. They just I talking about the white ones. Oh, no. <laughs> we was all, we was all up and through that, man. We was all in there. So it's like, what are, that's, and that's what I like to think. It's like, what were we doing? I want to think about what we were doing. I don't want to think about what you were doing. I mean, don't get me wrong. You have like a little animation and then are coming through and the black person selling some tomatoes. Like, them, them niggas crazy. Who is these Vikings? You know, for real. Like, they, we were there. So I like to think about, you know, that stuff. And I just like, I like to keep my stuff more on like the ethnic, indigenous you know, side. And, you know, yeah, so definitely, it's definitely been strange. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for real. (laughs) Um, What do you hope um, Black artists do in this current landscape uh, of access to information and and free tools? As, As artists? Yeah, what do you hope that they take advantage of? Like, particularly, you know, back in the day, it was just like pencils and whatever. But now you 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 can do anything. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think it's 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 like a. I think blacks should take advantage of obviously of the free three D tools for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think what we blacks because we have so much access. So back in the day, like even when I was growing up in like the eighties. I think my family was one of the few families I even knew any of black or white that actually had a home computer. Like there's just mm-hmm. things that were not available. You know what I mean? But now you have you have a computer in your pocket. I think what we first have to do as people is we have to start recognizing other forms of art as being viable. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, don't get me wrong, music is is part of our DNA. Like that music is us. I mean, I think that just lives in us. It's a beautiful thing, but not everybody's musical. Like I'm not, I'm not jumping on the track. Like it's just not happening. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not on the track, bro. I'm not a basketball player, you know, and that's art with mm-hmm. your body. Beautiful art, dancing. Another, another, mm-hmm. you know, art with your body. I mean, those are beautiful things. And I think that those are things that we do the best of on, on earth, period. I mean, there are many things that I feel that we do the best. We are the best. But those, mm-hmm. I think, are three things. Well, I mean, there's just no, there's no comparison. When it comes to making music, dancing, or, or sports, we have no equal. I mean, that's just what mm-hmm. it is. I don't care where you're from or what ethnicity. I mean, you can't argue it. Show me. You can't. There's nothing you can say. Um, but there mm-hmm. are other forms of art that we can do that are also, you know, really, really valuable. And I think we first have to kind of start valuing that, you know, first mm-hmm. off. Um, and then, yeah, we really need to start taking advantage of all these free tools. Like ZBrush has a free, has a free version. ZBrush uh, Core Mini, um, Blender is free. 
And I think we just have mm-hmm. to kind of make space for ourselves to kind of, and I mean, I, I, I don't like to use shit like, we need to make space so that we, I know that <laughs> <laughs> it's not all dumb corny. <laughs> you sound like an SNL sketch. <laughs> But you don't want to be like, make space for yourself so that you can expand. I don't want to be all, you know, like, and I do have my big crystal here. I don't want to break out my crystal and be like, we need to make space for ourselves spiritually, mentally. But seriously, (laughs) we do need to do some of that so that we can recognize that we have so many more other talents. I mean, look at, like, you put us in NASCAR. We cook that. We cook NASCAR. Like, I like, we cook that up, dude. You done. You put us in hockey, we cook that. You put us in golf, man, we cook that. Like, it's over, bro. I mean, anything you really can. So I think we really have to kind of start looking at that and saying, man, you know, I could cook in 3D modeling. Because, like, one of the things, like, RIP ancestor Chadwick Boseman, he's an ancestor now. I don't even consider him a dead actor. I feel like he's an ancestor now. But, like, mm-hmm. there were not a lot of black designers on Black Panther. We, we got that soundtrack. You know, I, I know um, a young black artist. I, I forgot his name. I think his name is Nicholas. Or something. He got the cover of the CD, which mm-hmm. was dope. So they, they gave us all. No, obviously, we got the acting, which was obviously the biggest part. Don't get me wrong. But they gave us the acting, which is great. Fantastic. Right. They gave us the music. But where was the black costume designers? Like any black concept artists? I mean, I, there were a few. Don't get me wrong. There were a few that worked on it. But for the most part, we weren't involved in that. So it's kind of like, how many times are we going to let other people design our legends and sell them back to us for a profit is really like the real root question. Right. You know, and I'm not saying that Black Panther was not great because it was. We have Black director, Black, black and, and, and especially African actors and actresses, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But what about the design? Where, where were we at? Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, we should be a part of the whole process. And I think that comes down to us really wanting or, or needing to own more of the process in the products that we contribute to, you know? Right. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's what it really comes down to. Because I mean, I, I think I have the art book over there, you know, on my on my shelf. It's a fantastic art book. It, I mean, it's off chain. Like, they did a great job. But I mm-hmm. have to wonder. What would it have been like if we had got someone with our perspective to design mm-hmm. some of the scenes and some of the characters? Mm-hmm. You know, how would it? Because I mean, movie was freaking fantastic, but there are some things that I would have liked to see. And this is just me as an artist. I'm not criticizing the movie at all, but right. just me as mm-hmm. an artist. There are some perspectives that I would have liked to bring that were not. I saw some contrived shit in there, like the, uh, it was cool as concert, or like the dude with the plate, mm-hmm. which was awesome, dude. But I mean, I think that's kind of a rare thing. And I don't really know if that person would be in court. I don't know, man. There's just some things that I felt like we, we should have sprinkled some more on that. We should have been in there kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, <laughs> thanks. Let me season this gumbo. Could you move aside? <laughs> so I think that was definitely, yeah, no, for real. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what I mean. I think you know, we we could we could have been in there cooking too. So I think we really needed to start doing that and think about ourselves as being part of more of the process instead of just being in in 
Um, Ryan Coogler was directing, so not in this particular, you know, this particular um, example, but in a lot of examples, we're just the actor or the actress, and we yeah. don't have a lot of creative input, but yet I see all these really creative Blacks online, mm -hmm. you know, on, on Pinterest, and, you know, especially on Instagram, like I follow and, and look at a lot of really, really talented Black illustrators, and I'm like, where are you at, though? Like, it's, it's a weird, the being black in this industry is very, it's a strange thing, man. It's weird. It's, yeah. it's, it's weird. It's a weird thing. But yeah, we need to start valuing that more. And I mean, that opens up a bigger thing where it's like, we need to start believing in our dreams more. Mm -hmm. It's easy to say when, you know, if you, but you know, if some people don't have the bandwidth, or the emotional bandwidth to believe in their dreams. And I understand that, but you have to kind of scratch it out, man. You got to kind of make that happen, but we have to kind of dream more and we have to kind of yeah. get a little bit more out of our comfort zones and experiment, go to those places that we don't really want to go to sometimes just to kind of learn, you yeah. know, what other people do. So we can take those tools back. Cause I mean, I, I mean, that's that, what everybody else do. No, for it, everybody does that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not I'm not mm -hmm. talking bad about any other ethnic group, but that's what every ethnic group does. They're like, we're gonna learn this shit and we're gonna bring it back. Mm -hmm. And like we go and learn it. And then as blacks, a lot of times when we come back, we're like a little bit ostracized where people are like, bro, I don't know what you're doing. Or we to go learn it and then try to join them. <laughs> Right, which is not going to really work, you know, it's going to work to an extent, you know, but it's not going to fully, I mean, case in point, like I, I'm at a professional, I'm at a professional level, but like I've, like to this day, I've never had an interview for a professional art job ever, like never. And it's just kind of like, dude, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the best artist in the world or not even among the best, but I am one of the better, like for mm -hmm. sure. You know, and I am definitely one of the better creature modelers out here. And like, I can't even get people on the phone. So it's kind of, so it's like, what incentive do I have to want to join your team on one side? But then like, I do want to eat, you know, and I do want to learn these tools so that I can take it back to people mm -hmm. like myself too, just like you're doing, but when I do it, it's kind of looked at it, you know, it, it's weird when we do that, it's looked at as cultish or mm, why is it yes. always have to be black? And it's like, well, why does it always have to be Latino? Like, I don't question, I don't question that because that's what you, you know, you over hood. Like, I feel that, like, do it for whoever you need to do it for. But when we do it, it's, it's weird, man. And I feel like as black artists, they don't, I feel like there are bastions of like white Asian-ness. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say white Asian-ness. And cause I feel like the gaming entertainment industry is a very white Asian homogenized mm -hmm. industry, you know? And I feel like mm -hmm. they look at it as like one of the last creative bastions where we can't, like we can't let them, we can't let them come in. They took, they took golf, like they took NASCAR. Like, you know what I mean? They, I feel like, this is one of the things where they're very resistant to letting us in. It's a very strange thing, you know. And I definitely, uh, I definitely feel that where 
I'll, I'll, you know, I'll apply to company and then I'll get a rejection and then I'll go. And every time I get a rejection, I'll go and look at the roster. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I got rejected. That's cool. Who do you have on your team? And most of the time off the top, I'll see like 30% of the people that don't even deserve to be on the team. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, damn, you got 30% dead weight on your squad and you couldn't even talk to me. Like for right. real, you couldn't even. You couldn't even set up an interview for me for like 15 minutes. I'm looking at your roster right now, bro. Like, mm-hmm. you, did you not look at my stuff? Like, did you not see it? Like, you know what I mean? Did you not open the zip file or did you just say no? Or And it'd be weird. Yes, yeah, it's, 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 that's a into a whole nother question that you did not ask, but yeah. We talk about it though. <laughs> no, it'd be, it'd, it'd, it'd be weird out here, man. It, it's, it's interesting. Or they'll be like, man, I really love your stuff. And I'll, and I'll say, thank you. You know, um, I see you have a job, you know, job opening. Perhaps I could talk to somebody and like, well, uh, you know, <laughs> it's more than Do you know seven programs? And like, dude, I'm one of the better 3D sculptors mm-hmm. right now. And I just learned that in my room. If you can't see that I have the focus to learn right. those programs with direction, from you and your company and the resources that your company have. I mean, I've already proven that that I can do that because I'm I'm here talking to you right now, which mm-hmm. means I'm at a certain level that you wouldn't even be talking to me if it wasn't a, a level of talent that you had to recognize. Right. So we're already here. Obviously, if I did this by myself, if I had your 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 resources and you know, the guidance from the peers that I would have at that company. Can you imagine what I can do? Just use your imagination and just project that out a little bit, you know? It's amazing how much imagination that, like, animation studios can't use. (laughs) Word. No, for real. Yeah, do it. So I I had, like, a mock interview, like, a, a, a portfolio review at CTMs for Blue Sky Studios and they're not really do that kind of sculpture, but and, and the lady was like, well, I don't know if you could do the, the things that we do. And I was like, man, I mean, forms are forms. I mean, it's just it's it's sculpture. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I could I think I could understand how to build those, you know, and mm-hmm. I didn't mean it to be sarcastic, but I think it was so straightforward that she kind of she kind of looked at me and kind of. I could see like a flicker in her mind where she's like, he's right, but then she kind of went, mm, no, no, um, thank you. <laughs> no, it's like, I, right, you know, thanks, you know, thanks for looking. But yeah, they don't have, yeah, they don't have a lot of imagination, which I think is, it's bizarre. It's, 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 mm-hmm. it's weird. I expect more, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do. I, I expect more from them, and I expect them to have more of an understanding of what it is that I'm trying to do as an artist and what I can do for your company, you know? And right. Yes, it's, man, it, yeah, this shit is, it's, it's weird, which is why I kind of went into jewelry because, you know, jewelry, it's a really high price point, really high markup. There's not, and there's like no black jewelers. There's like no mm-hmm. black, like fantasy jewelry. Um, mm-hmm. And that jewelry industry, like I have, I haven't even produced it and I have sales. Like I have, I did some prototypes and I like on my Instagram, I showed some of the, I haven't shown them because I did have them cast in silver. They're, 
They're in my room, in my in the other room. But I do. I actually cast the prototypes in solid silver. Like they're 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 pretty dope. Like they're mm-hmm. they look pretty good. I have people that are like, dude, when you when you make those, call me. It's bought. And I was like, yeah, I'll give you a discount. They was like, no discount, bro. I don't want a discount. Mm-hmm. I'm buying a full price. Whereas like, and that's my first batch. But I'm doing creatures right. that are on par with your you know, the creatures in major game studios and they're like, well, I don't know. Do you know Python, Maya? Do you know Blankety? And I'm like, dude, I'm not going, you You have a whole other department for that. Like I'm right. I'm here for the concept. So it's, it's weird, man. It's, it's, it's a strange, it's a strange thing. It is. Yeah. It's, I'm sure you've experienced it. I'm in sure. multiple ways. uh, yeah so how can people follow you and get in touch with you um so on instagram i'm um you can either look me up quincy bobbin or for my art instagram because i have several i have one for art and then two for fashion but for the art one it's uh champagne underscore corpse so it's Mm -hmm. just an underscore corpse and then Artstation is also artstation.com backslash champagne corpse. So all my just in are, case people want to follow the fashion, what's what's that? Um the fashion one is uh it's, it's Morpheus in the trap. <laughs> <laughs> all spaces is my fashion friends call me Morpheus. They'd be like, yo, Morpheus. So it's just kind of like a running, a running joke. And then obviously uh Travis Scott. Birds in a Trap sing at night. So it's kind of like alluding to that. And then like, mm-hmm. I'm Morpheus, but I haven't been freed yet. Like I'm still stuck with everybody here. So Morpheus in the Trap is my other uh, <laughs> fashion Instagram, which is more like uh, editorial. Nice. All right, Quincy, thanks for coming. And to everybody out here, out there, uh, like, so I know it's real. Comment and tell me how you feel. Subscribe to Silver Deal and sign up for post notifications to show your zeal. And I will see you in the next video. Words, <laughs> words. Thanks for having me. Take it easy, Black. <laughs>